Welcome to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and I'm proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Every episode of this podcast will bring in a variety of experts to help all writers incorporate more authentic cops, crime, and criminals in their stories. For this episode, Patrick Fitzgibbon steps into the interrogation room to clear up a few things about his life as a cop and criminal justice advocate. Patrick's a retired police commander from Colorado who holds multiple advanced degrees in business and organizational leadership, and he has more than two decades of experience in numerous law enforcement roles. As an adjunct college professor, he instructs the next generation of police professionals in such topics as crime scene investigation, police operations, and criminal law, as well as coaching and mentoring law enforcement professionals and others to achieve their maximum potential. Patrick's also a former Army paratrooper with the Elite 82nd Airborne Division, and therefore an avid supporter of active military members and veterans. He's also the creator and host of CJ Evolution, a top-ranked criminal justice podcast currently closing in on 100 episodes. And Patrick's also recently started Evolve Coaching, which is available at his website, cjevolution.com. Patrick, thanks for joining Writers on the Beat today. I appreciate you making time for us. Well, I appreciate you inviting me on, brother. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Now, your open source bio is is a little bit vague. Do you mind giving uh, our listeners kind of the Reader's Digest rundown of your CV? Well, again, uh, thank you for uh, inviting me on, Gavin. I sure do appreciate it and welcome all the listeners who are uh, listening. Um, yeah, I mean, I got a pretty uh, interesting background. Uh, as you mentioned, I uh, started out, uh, well, I, you know, as a, as a kid, I, I grew up in a military family. My dad was uh, in the Army, later went to the Air Force. Uh, I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps. So when I was old enough, uh, well, back up, I, I worked uh, for a little bit out of uh, high school, didn't go to college right away, uh, decided I wanted to go into uh, the Army when I was really old. I was 21, <laughs> was old by the Army standard. Yeah. Uh, so I went into the Army, uh, went uh, through Airborne School, um, you know, Air Assault School, uh, landed at uh, the 82nd Airborne Division down at Fort Bragg. Uh, after the military, I knew I wanted to continue to serve. Uh, so, uh, I got out, I knew I wanted to become a cop. I have a few, uh, police officers in the family on my mom's side, uh, came back to Colorado with my uh, wife and young, uh, baby girl in tow and, uh, got into the police academy and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. I spent, uh, about a little over a decade down in Southeastern Colorado at a, a agency and then came up to the, um, you know, front range in Colorado and finished out my career, um, uh, with a, uh, apartment Louisville police department, mm-hmm. just outside of Boulder, yeah. Colorado. Uh, you know, went up to the ranks pretty quick, retired as an operational commander. I was in charge of all the, uh, patrol officers, uh, on the street, um, in, you know, the operation side and, uh, yeah, had a great career about three and a half years ago. I started uh, CG evolution. You mentioned, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a podcast for criminal justice professionals. And I have just all kinds of great guests on the show, leadership experts, fitness experts, finance experts. People say finance. Well, you know, even as cops, we have to watch our finances and mm-hmm. prepare and, all that stuff. So it's been a great ride, Gavin, with the with the podcast. You mentioned about a hundred episodes. I'm a, I'm actually up to about three hundred and twenty something episodes oh, wow. now. Um, so yeah, it's been a great ride. And I just started my evolve uh, personal coaching. Thank you for mentioning that. And uh, there's been a demand from me for people, my listeners, to to get into the coaching, and I and I have, and it's been a great ride, man. So I hope that uh, satisfies <laughs> <laughs> the listener yeah. with my CV. So it's been, uh, I've had a great but life. It seems like most cops ended up on the job to get away from college classes, but you've done the exact opposite and made it a cornerstone of, of your career and your contribution to the profession. Um, 
I, yeah. I personally think you know perpetual education is, is a real key foundation to success as a cop, and it's not the strictly blue collar job that it used to be. Uh, it seems to me you know modern cops have to face the uh, the need to combine a blue collar traditional work ethic with white collar smarts to survive the streets and combat the crimes and legal dilemmas we're facing today. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I mean, you know, the officers that we're seeing, not that we weren't educated in the past, but, you know, I mean, I encourage officers out there and other first responders to, to continue with your education. I mean, every day should be a learning experience. You, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, I have a couple of graduates degrees and I, I knew Gavin from a, from a you know, young time in my law enforcement career that I would get out of law enforcement, you know, at some point. You can't do it forever. I think a lot of officers out there, I know because I talk to them all the time, you know, I think some of them have this mindset that, well, you know, I'm never going to retire. Yeah, you will. Something mm-hmm. will happen, inevitable. God forbid it's not serious, but you will retire. So I always believe in being versatile. Um, you know, so um, officers out there that are listening, other first responders, you know, continue on with your education because one day your law enforcement career will end and you have to have something to fall back on. And Yeah, I, I love teaching. I've been teaching for about 10 years. Uh, I teach online. I also teach in the classroom. Uh, and I love just interacting with you know, the young up and coming professionals uh, in the field. And it's good to see them, um, mm-hmm. their excitement, you know, they want to get out there and they want to do good for their community. So I love it. Yeah. In, in my career, speaking from personal experience, I, I think mentors absolutely made the difference for me, you know, sometimes kind of like a lighthouse cutting through the thick fog. And I, I know you're currently working several facets to bring up the next generation of cops. How critical is it? in your opinion, for new and young officers to have that competent and seasoned intentional relationship? Oh, it is. It's absolutely, I believe, a necessity. You know, I'm, I'm 50 and I have a mentor and I have a coach. I have a personal coach. So to me, it never stops, man. I mean, especially as a young officer, you know, latch on to those seasoned officers. I'm talking about officers that are not bitter and cynical. <laughs> and we all go through that. I'm talking yep. about the officers that are seasoned and are willing to take somebody under their wing mm-hmm. uh, and coach and mentor them. That, that is key. I'm not saying it's an absolute, you won't survive without it. But like you, I mean, I had a lot of great officers early in my career, you know, um, you know, take me under their wing, mentor me, guide me. And that made all the difference in the world to me and the path I took. And I, you know, on, on the flip side of that, I saw officers get wrapped up with, you know, officers that were negative, mm-hmm. bitter, hated work, didn't want to be there. And, you know, that, that, you know, from a very young age, uh, you're very young in their career. That's the mentality they adopted. Yeah. You know, you can come back from that, but you are who you surround yourself with is what I tell people all the time. I think Jim Rohn said, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And that's absolutely right. So surround yourself with the people that are propping you up, not bringing you down. Yeah. Those, uh, those negative, uh, negative paradigms. It's the only cancer I've known that's actually contagious. It's, yeah, it, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's it's not, uh, you know, people ask me, okay, what, you know, how did you become successful? And I mean, there's no secret to it. I mean, there's no secret to success. It's pretty basic. I mean, yeah, it's hard work and discipline and habits and stuff like that. But a lot of it is, like I said, just who you're surrounding yourself with. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember growing up and it probably happened to you and your listeners, you know, you know, your parents don't hang out with those kids, yeah. you know. Well, it, that's what it is. You know, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be good at sports, you're probably going to gravitate towards the jocks. If you want to be smart, you're probably going to gravitate towards the, the kids that are studying and stuff like that. So it really isn't, it really isn't that hard, but so many people get wrapped up in the wrong people and it really pulls them down. Uh, 
I wonder if, if you wouldn't mind talking about your first cop mentor and how that relationship came about once you got on the job. Well, I, my first mentor, his name was uh, Sergeant Redmond in, uh, from Lamar, Colorado. I worked in uh, you know, a smaller agency in southeastern Colorado. And just a great, very educated, no-nonsense kind of guy. And uh, I remember him you know, just being you know, very – I want to use the term – he wasn't mean, but he was very curt to the point. Uh, mm -hmm. And he did it in a way where he – Know, showed empathy it was very caring but I remember I mean his lessons were were very very powerful I mean he told me I remember you know and this was two over two decades ago law enforcement I think has changed a little bit but he said you aren't in hospitality business Patrick and I was like what are you talking about I don't work in a you know <laughs> restaurant or something like that and he said police work is hospitality yes but whether you you know believe it or not um, it is how you treat people you know so many people, you know, believe that, you know, you ask people, you ask cops, I remember he told me, he said, what's your, you know, what's, what's the greatest weapon you have? And, you know, young cop, I'm like, well, it's my, you know, it's my gun. It's my son. He said, absolutely not. It's your mouth. And, you know, your gun is a tool, mm -hmm. you know, you need that, but uh, it's your mouth. Your mouth can get you in trouble. It can keep you out of trouble. Remember, treat people with respect. There's going to be times where you have to be curt with people and you have to, you know, you know make people do things. But 99% of the time, if you're just nice to people, they will reciprocate, believe it or not. And I've carried that, you know, throughout my career. And there's been highs and lows in my career, but that I never, never forgot that. So he was really instrumental in my growth and development. I've been to more police leadership training classes than I ever wanted to attend it. And all of mine kind of generally fell into one or two categories, right? There's the class where the HR professional put this thing together who's never had their life threatened just for showing up to work. And then there's the far more interesting classes that were the exact opposite, usually put on by retired cops like yourself that were, uh, I think, fair to say, no longer yoked by uh, department policy. Um, you know, those kind of instructors like, you know, Gordon Graham and on, on a related topic, Kevin Gilmartin, uh, were addressing real-life problems in police culture and leadership. Um, and sometimes it's like the leadership just never seems to get the point that sometimes they're the source of the troubles. And um, it's interesting to me watching law enforcement careers develop over time and seeing how personalities paradigms shift as you move up the ladder of this hierarchy. Um, what do you see as kind of the driving force of that? And, and how can, how can cops as they're working up the ranks, keep that focus on, you know, as you mentioned, hospitality? Well, I mean, you hit a great, you hit on a great point. I mean, there's, and I talk about this in my book, you know, that's going to come out. I, I, I've worked for great leaders and I've worked for horrible mm -hmm. leaders. Um, you know, it, if you don't have leadership out there that is in tune with the cops and not just leading from a desk, which is not leadership, um, you're going to have problems with your, in your organization. Um, you, you have to, um, you know, remember that we are in a people business, you know, you know, whether we like it or not, I tell people, and you know, this, Police work is inherently toxic, whether you believe it or not. It is. You know, you, you deal with people that are, you're, sh you're showing up and they're at their worst. You're not seeing the best of them. And it, that's just the nature of the job. It shouldn't be toxic internally. Mm -hmm. If you are in a toxic department where people are negative and you have um, leadership uh, that uh, don't back the officers, that are constantly micromanaging officers, I tell cops all the time, go get another job. Get out of there. It, it's going to yeah. drain you. Uh, it, it will, and you, you know what I'm talking about. But, you know, to, to 
move up the ranks, you know, yeah, there's, it's, it's political. I'm not going to lie. And you know that, but you know, you just got to treat people with respect, watch out for your, your officers, you know, because they will remember that. And the one thing I remember moving up through the ranks was, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think just because they get promoted, they automatically are going to get respect. It doesn't work like that. People will respect the rank. Mm -hmm. They have to most of the time, but it doesn't mean that they necessarily respect the, uh, the people, you know, behind that rank. I remember when I got promoted to a commander, I was a brand new commander, didn't know what the hell I was doing, still didn't. <laughs> but, um, I remember once I got uh, promoted, uh, I knew that, you know, and this is how I was raised in law enforcement, I knew that just because I got promoted and in the military doesn't mean that they're going to respect me. So these are guys that I've known for mm -hmm. years that I were friends with. I knew I had to gain that respect again. So keep, you got to stay humble, you know, uh, throughout your career. And some people, you know, view humility as, as a weakness. I view it as a strength. Now you don't want to be the guy or girl who's never yeah. making decisions and, you know, kind of passive, but you, you, you got to, you know, remain humble. And that's going to, that's going to help you along the way in your relationships with, with people. Uh, it's all about relationships internally and externally. So you just got to, you know, stay humble and, and do the right thing, surround yourself with the right people. And that's what really, uh, I think, um, you know, helped me in my career. It will help uh, you and listeners in their career. And I, I can't stress this enough, man. If you are in a, a bad department and I'm working under bad leadership, uh, you need to leave. Go find another job. People mm -hmm. tell me, well, they're stuck. You're never stuck. I, I, I hear this all the time, people I talk to. Well, I, I can't. I'm stuck. No, you're right. not. You're choosing to be stuck. So if you are that miserable, if you're just showing up to grab a paycheck, you need to move on because you're not doing yourself or the organization, you know, any, any favors. No, the uh, first, first agency I worked for turned out to be a, a pretty caustic through some, some administrative changes. And when I left, um, I probably had a dozen people come up to me um, in the, the last couple weeks I was there that basically said something like, I wish I could do what you're doing. I got people telling me that all the time, brother. Yeah. And like, you know, this isn't a prison. Yeah. <laughs> you can walk out that door and every day you're choosing to show up here. Now, I, I think, unfortunately, a lot of the realities of our job are not, not the job. I, I absolutely love the job. I think the realities of, of the culture of police society and police administration um, is such that uh, if you were an engineer for IBM, you can go out and get another engineering job and start you know, uh, at reasonably uh, about the same level you left IBM at, you might even get a promotion out of it, right? Mm -hmm. The cop industry is the only place I know where until you're at the top, you're going to start over at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so these guys that have been working investigations have had the, the detective job, have had, you know, a, maybe a, a, a sergeant's position. They know that if they leave this caustic environment, they're going to go back to weekend graveyard patrol pushing a bumper around as the lowest man on the totem pole again. And I think that's a big part of what keeps guys in these cancerous positions that they can't leave. They don't want to leave. And the, sometimes the agency doesn't want them there, but nobody can get rid of each other. Yeah. Well, and that's where I was talking about earlier is, you know, it's, it's never too late to become more versatile and to become, mm -hmm. you know, learn a new trade, learn a new skill. Uh, you know, I, again, I think, you know, officers are, um, look, look, if you're, if you're just staying at your job, 
just for the paycheck. That's not a good enough reason to stay there no. because the reality is you can go get another job. And, and yeah, you indicated you might start at the bottom, but you know, even if it, it's still a job and sometimes you have to step up to step back or step down to step back up. So if you're just doing it just for the paycheck, I'm telling you, and you know, uh, it's, it's not healthy physically, mentally for you, and it's not healthy for the organization. And if you really want to leave and you really want to step out and do stuff, you can't, you know, That's I mean, true. I, you know, officers ask me all the time, the same as you, you know, I just, you know, I want to do what you do. Well, you can't, you know, once I figured out the, the how, you know, or the why, the how came, I mean, it's not that hard, but mm-hmm. so many officers, I think they have this, like you were talking about, they're in this prison, they, they're, they're, you know, they, somebody has told them along the way, again, surrounding yourself with the right people, Yes. people that they, they associate with are like, well, what are you doing, man? If you go to this other department or if you get out of law enforcement, you retire and start that business you've been talking about for the last 10 years, you know you're going to fail. And my advice to people out there with friends like that, and it's difficult, is you need to get new friends. Yeah. And, and you, it's not, I'm not talking about just dumping people, but, you know, you don't have to associate with them all the time like you are. I'm telling you, that, that is what, I guess, you know, just inhibits people. Mm-hmm you know, so much. Uh, and, and they're afraid. I mean, I was afraid when I was a re- retired, but, you know, when I re- first retired, but I, I, you know, I later realized it was the best thing I could do. Um, and now I'm on to bigger and better things. You, mean, you just have to have that mindset too, man, that you can do it. I, it cracks me up, brother, really quick. I'm on a tangent right now, but really <laughs> quick, you know, officers, and you know, this are brave men and women who, you know, serve our communities every day, run into danger every day of the week. Every day of the week, every type of scenario, but they're too afraid to take that step into the unknown to make themselves feel better, Mm -hmm. to, to, you know, accept that change, to maybe step down, to step back up. And it just amazes me, you know, and I was like that at a certain point in my career, but you know what I did is I was like, you know what, I'm going to start hanging out with people that are building me up, not pulling me down. And again, that goes into that toxic environment a lot within agencies, and, uh, and it's unfortunate. Man. It is. And, you know, based on, on your experience, one of the things that I, I really wanted to make sure that uh, we address for the, the listeners, a lot of, you know, whom are uh, aspiring writers and novelists. But I, I think when people hear, you know, the term watch commander, you know, especially if they've you know, watched too much TV, uh, you know, the watch commander is the guy who's either right sitting in the office to collect, uh, you know, badges and guns from suspended cops, or they show up on scene just in time to wreck all the good work and destroy the evidence. Um, and there are certainly, you know, some police supervisors that fit that trope, but in fairness to all the great ones out there truly doing fantastic work to keep the, the public and, and their cops safe. Uh, can you give our audience a, a rundown and kind of the day of the life of, you know, watch commander, police lieutenant, and what that, that job and the weight of that responsibility is actually like? Well, I mean, it's a, a tremendous weight. I mean, you know, the higher you go up and, and a police organization, I always joke around, but I think the yes. less police work you actually do because you, you know, it's all about relationships at the level I was at. Um, you know, it's a building relationships, not only, you know, internally, but outside the agency with other, you know, agency, uh, you know, rank and file. And, you know, it's, it's a tough job, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I would start my day by coming in, attending briefings at 630 in the morning. I wanted to hear what was going on, you know, talk with the officers, ask them, you know, how they're doing, ask about their families. You know, I mean, I would have officers, you know, coming into to my office all the time. Hey, you know, commander, can I, can I steal a few minutes of your time? Absolutely. It's about relationships, man. It really is. Um, but again, the higher you go up, the more, you know, um, 
my, my job as a, as a operational commander, like we said off the air, is I was in charge of all the patrol officers. I was in charge of, you know, extra duty, overtime, you know, scheduling, all that stuff, you know. But uh, my primary role, uh, and I can't speak for other agencies, you know, other, other you know, watch commanders and other you know, lieutenants and other agencies, but my primary role, I always, uh, you know, not only watching after my cops and stuff like that and doing my, my roles, my, uh, you know, projects and other things that I had going on throughout the day, was my primary role, I, I believe, was to mentor and train the next generation, people who are going to take my job. Because again, I have that mindset, look, my, my, I'm not going to stay in here forever. I want to train and mentor those sergeants out there. So when I leave, one of them's going to take my job. And one of them did. Uh, but um, like I said, I mean, I, I can't speak for other, you know, uh, you know, lieutenants and other people with rank out there, you know, what their job is like. But I think any, any cornerstone of your day should start with, you know, getting with the troops and talking to them and saying, you know, just carve out that time in. You don't want to be that commander or lieutenant or captain or whatever that sits behind a desk all day with your door closed because the, the troops see that and you want to be – now, there's going to be times for that where you're, you're behind closed door meetings, but if it's if it's like that all the time in an organization, something's wrong. And the officers see yep. that and they're like, oh, yeah. what's going on? Who's in yeah. trouble? You know how officers are. So, you know, you just got to start every day, I believe, with, you know, talking to the people who truly are the lifeblood uh, of any organization. That's my sergeants who are, I think, one of the most important, if not the most yes. important role in a department are the sergeants. You know, I mean, the sergeants are the lifeblood. They're the one managing the street. They're the one managing the, the troops, the officers. Corporals are also up there. You know, I mean, I think they are so important to an organization. So I would meet with my sergeants. I would meet with the corporal. Well, the sergeants would meet with the corporals, and I would attend every briefing I could because I have meetings throughout the day. Um, but yeah, I hope I answered your question. What about like uh, your, your role? How would, how would your role differentiate uh, from, you know, a patrol sergeant at a major incident or a, a use of force or an officer involved shooting scene? Well, I mean, depending on the great question, if depending on the incident, you know, I would, I would come out uh, on the scene. Um, but I, I trust my sergeants. You know, I trust my corporals. I trust the officers. I trust the sergeants to manage the officers. I mean, that's the role of a sergeant. That's the role of a corporal. You know, I would meet with my sergeants. Uh, I wouldn't go out on every call. Some calls, depending on what it was, I would go out there. But I would let the if I needed to step in, I would step in. But I wouldn't micromanage. I mean, part of learning, you know, uh, is making mistakes. Now, those, you know, I would try to mentor my officers and, and sergeants to not to, you know, if something was really going haywire, I'd step <laughs> yeah. in, but they have to learn, you know, I mean, and this goes back to micromanaging. If you were in a micromanaging atmosphere, how, how do you expect your people to learn when everybody is holding your hand all the time? And I think that's a problem in some organizations. I've worked for chiefs like that and deputy chiefs where you, the officers can't make a move. They can't do it. They can go to the yeah. bathroom seriously without asking yeah. permission. Uh, and you do not want to work for an environment like that. How do you expect your officers to to grow and learn? And then the the chief would turn around and say, "Well, they're they're not doing, you know, they're not proactive. Why aren't well, why aren't they? Because you're micromanaging." Yeah. So you know, I would go out on calls. Uh, you know, if I thought I needed to be there, if it was a major call that involved the press or something like that, some politicians, I would show up, uh, play some interference. But I would generally let my officers. And mostly sergeants, you know, manage th those calls. I mean, I would show up, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't step in unless I absolutely had to. And kind of continuing on with one of the, the, the themes of the show here, 
Uh, where do you think most fiction writers go astray when they're depicting cops in general, uh, but also police supervisors in their books, TV, and film? Well, well, I think they get. I mean, you, your listeners probably know. I know you know. Most people, you know, especially people who have never been in law enforcement, they get what they know out of law enforcement through movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. It's Hollywood, you know. You know, <laughs> you know, police work is not driving ninety miles an hour, kicking down doors all day. Most of police work, at least in my experience of 23 years, is, is driving around, showing presence, getting out, talking to people, responding to many times and even non-criminal yeah. calls. Yep. You know that. I mean, my officers are going to civil calls, you know, all kinds of different calls for service on a daily basis. So I think where they get it wrong, and again, it's Hollywood, you know, I mean, the, you know, they and, and writers who don't know, they're, they're, I think they're getting a lot of their basis for law enforcement, what they see on TV and the movies. And they, you know, they put it in books and books, that's what sells. Know, the yeah. kicking in doors, you know, the SWAT shows and stuff like that. I mean, look at look at the shows on TV, brother. You know, you get NCIS, and I'm not knocking these shows. I'm just saying they're all, you know, I think there's SWAT shows out there and all kinds of stuff. That's the high drama stuff, but it doesn't. It's not an accurate portrayal of law enforcement that cops do yeah, on a daily you know, basis. If it were at all realistic, uh, the old. Uh... Dreyfus movie Stakeout would have been a, a ten-hour film with uh, with two minutes. <laughs> yeah, of, I remember that movie. Yeah, yeah, would have, showing would have my been age. A ten-hour film with two minutes of sure terror and ninety-eight percent boredom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody, nobody. There's not a show out there. Community policing next <laughs> on community policing. Yeah, you know, nobody wants to hear. I mean, that's a very, very. You know, it's the cornerstone yes. now of most uh, most departments. But there, there's no TV shows about there. It's like you know NCIS and you know um, or, you know, all these other shows about. Uh, you know, police work that are, some of it is, is maybe realistic, but most of it is just Hollywood. Now, what inspired you to start the CJ Evolution podcast and then evolve that into evolved training? And how long did you struggle with putting yourself out to the public and profession like that? You know, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, you know, I just, about three and a half years ago, I, uh, I was still on the job and I, you know, I'm a big podcast. I listen to podcasts all the time and you know, I, I said, you know, I can do this. So I, I knew that I was going to retire down the road. And uh, I said, you know, I can do this. And I want to continue to give back to law enforcement and, you know, positive way. I just don't want to talk about the negative. And mm-hmm. on, on my show, there are some dark topics, but, you know, I started it and it was, you know, I, I learned on my own how to do production and all this other stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just wanted to continue to give back. And it's been a great ride, man. I've had just amazing people on the show. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's been, and I have, like I said before, I have people from all different walks of life on the show. Everybody I have on the show, though, you can tie it back into, you know, criminal justice uh, and law enforcement. And then coaching, you know, came about. I had a handful of people, you know, reach out to me and said, hey, man, you've done, you know, you're, you know, you've retired, you had 23 years of experience, you mentored and did all this stuff with, you know, officers over the years, and you got some great stuff. I mean, um, you know, why don't you start, you know, coaching one-on-one to officers? And so I started that uh, a couple months ago, uh, and it's been a great ride. I'm learning. And one of the things I knew, I think I told you earlier, is I knew that, you know, in order to provide the best coaching I can to first responders and law enforcement, I need to get better at certain things. So I went out and got a personal coach, and it's been an, it's been an amazing ride. So it goes into that constant learning environment that I'm always in uh, for my career development, and my professional growth. And yeah, it's been so cool. Great ride. And I, I just want to continue to give back to the brave men and women out there in this time more yes. than ever where officers are getting, you know, scrutinized. And, and again, let me preface by saying it's, it's a job. You're going to get scrutinized. You have to, and you're under the microscope, but 
in this day and age, brother, yeah. you know, I mean, we're just getting raked over the coals in the media and, and all this crazy stuff that is coming down. The, you know, people want to disarm the police. People want to do this and this. And I, I just think now more than ever, officers everywhere and first responders and criminal justice people, they, they need to hear people, you know, and I always try to pump up listeners, you know, they need to hear that positive stuff. Like you are doing a great job. You are loved. You are cared for. And I always say, I, I believe the vast majority of people out there in this country support mm-hmm. law enforcement. Yeah. I bet I wish they were just more vocal. With, yeah. With that. I, I think that's something that, uh, you know, some of it, you know, is kind of, kind of on us a little bit for, you know, our, our culture. And, and unfortunately it's, it's necessary yeah. for us to be suspicious of everyone until we know you. <laughs> so, sure. You know, um, but at the same time, yeah, there's, uh, I, I think there are definitely things that, especially those of us that are now out of the profession full time, uh, have the ability to, to influence maybe a little bit more and have a little more brands than when we were in. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely needed. Well, and you mentioned, you know, Gil, mm-hmm. you mentioned Gil yeah. Martin, buddy, and, and Gil Martin talks about this where you, you know, you, you're in that hyper vigilant state all the time. And one of the biggest things that I did for me, I think that really helped me um, in in my uh, growth and development and my mindset was, you know, I have a, I'm Mm -hmm. a big mindfulness uh, person. I, you know, I meditate every day. Uh, You know, I take care of myself the best I can. Uh, But one of the big things that really changed my life, brother, was, you know, just start because my wife has, you know, she's not in the, Mm -hmm. doesn't have anything to do with law enforcement or criminal justice or anything. And for many years, you know, my wife would be like, let's go out, you know, hang out with some of my friends. Yeah. I was like, well, they're not cops. I'm not doing that. And slowly but surely, I started going out. And I, and I just wrote about this in, in law enforcement today. I wrote an article about, you know, taking off your cop hat once in a while and stepping out and meeting new people that aren't cops. And I'm not that's not a ding on law enforcement. I'm just saying what really helped me was, you know, meeting new people and saying, well, wait a minute. Yeah. They're not a criminal, you know, and, and slowly and slowly, not that I'm not, you know, conscious about, you know, the exits and stuff like that. I don't think anything is that's ever going to go away. But, you know, I just realized over time that most people out there are good people. We just see the 10% of the people that are constantly causing problems in society. That's not indicative or it's not representative of the entire country. So again, what really helped me brother was getting friends outside of law enforcement. And that really, really helped my mindset because uh, like you and some listeners out there, I mean, you're conditioned, you know, at least I was in in the Academy years ago that if you're not a cop, we don't trust you. And I think that's part Mm -hmm. of the angst. That's part of the problems that, a lot of officers carry with, you know, inside that, well, I, I don't know this person is not a cop or she's not a cop and I don't, I just don't trust them. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a reason for that. Maybe there's a good reason, but most of the time I would say it's just unwarranted. Yeah. Especially to the, to the levels that it gets taken. Yeah. I also think every cop believes their career would make a best-selling novel. So when's your debut novel coming out <laughs> about the, the exploits of a lightly or a fictionalized character based on your career? Well, I have a book out there. Thank you for mentioning it, brother. It's called Evolve, uh, and it's a collection of routines, habits, uh, and advice to take charge of your life and be your best self. It's a micro book, so it's a very small book. Uh, it's about uh, 88 pages, but it's I wanted to make it small like that so it's easily... Uh, digestible, you know, mm-hmm. you can read it 
one sitting. Uh, and again, it's just, you know, I talk about mindset. I talk about, you know, elevate your thinking, surrounding yourself with uh, the right people, you know, how visualization is very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about loving your life, you know, evolve as an acronym. And I just mentioned some of the, the letters right there. But uh, uh, yeah, you have to love your life, man. It's and I and I talk about this, you know, you need to get up every day, man. I know it sounds corny. I know it sounds cheesy. But get up every day and say, look, I love myself. I am great. And I know it sounds crazy. Most people out there, what the hell is this guy talking about? Look, if you don't love yourself, you don't take care of yourself, how do you expect to go out there and take care of people? You know, it's like the flight attendant. You go on a flight, you get on the plane, you know, you're, you're coming out of the, you know, the gate. And what are they doing? They're doing a safety presentation. And again, what happens? The oxygen drops. And what do they tell you? Put it on yourself first mm -hmm. before you put it on your kid or your wife. You know, in order to be the best personally and professionally, be the best we can, especially in law enforcement, especially our brave men and women out there serving and protecting us every day in the military. You have to take care of yourself. And that's what the book is about. Things that I've learned over the years, and I'm not an expert, but some of the things that I've learned in my law enforcement career uh, and through great guests that I've had on the show, I've just kind of condensed it uh, in this small uh, micro book. And it should be out within the next couple months. The last question I ask of all the authors who come on the show uh, assume, you know, uh, almost all writers are also pretty avid readers. And so I assume you probably have a favorite fictional investigator, detective, or maybe even a revenge artist in books, TV, or film. But I, I wonder, Patrick, and God forbid it should come to pass, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself murdered, what fictional investigator, assassin, or revenge artist would you assign your homicide? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that is a great uh, question. I, I would say you remember the guy from uh, NYPD Blue that uh, yeah uh, Sipowitz Sipowitz yeah yeah Sipowitz was you know he was kind of a controversial character, but he was a no nonsense character. He was I remember growing you know growing up you know watching NYPD Blue, huge fan of that show. Uh, I can't remember how many seasons, but I remember yeah. Sipowitz. He was he was tough, but he also you know he always did you know, thorough investigation. You always got his guy uh, in the end. So um, that, I think I would want uh, Sipowitz uh, to be investigating my murder. Well, I greatly appreciate you making time for us today, Patrick. Really looking forward to the, uh, the book coming out and we'll definitely have you, have you back on to, to discuss some more cop issues for both the, you know, the, the, the cops that listen to this, but also the guys who want to try to write about us. Well, that's, I've had a great time, Gavin. I appreciate it so much. Uh, you're doing excellent work out there. Please, uh, continue the, the good work and uh, everybody be safe. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast to the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been retired watch commander and law enforcement influencer Patrick Fitzgibbons. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there.